Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to Six Feet Under. Today's uh, guest game, our, our very special guest, is Aaron Clooney of uh, Yuruki Zero Games, as well as, well, plenty of other companies. Uh, <laughs> a designer of several projects and several more to come, and a translator of a number of games straight from Japan, including today's uh, on the docket, Golden Sky Stories. Uh, say hello to the people. Hey, people. All right. <laughs> and uh, I, as usual, uh, I was going to say always, but maybe I'm not always myself. But uh, <laughs> I am your uh, uh, self-appointed MC Ironicus here with Ambisagris and Ix from the usual group. Uh, but hello. And before we get to the game itself, as usual, we're going to talk about a related topic. Uh, today, we thought we'd cover the uh, uh, differences and similarities between the Japanese uh, traditional game scene and the English-speaking one, and who better than uh, somebody who's translated a handful of uh, Japanese games for the English-speaking RPG scene. So, hey, we, we got you. We got you trapped. Yes. You can't get away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, well, uh, what would you like to know about? Um, uh, I guess... Where to... Uh, we should, I suppose, start with the beginning. Uh, how did, at least in your understanding, uh, I mean, not expecting you to be omnipotent, uh, how, how did, uh, tabletop gaming really take hold in Japan? And how do um, you characterize it today? Um, well, the, the way it kind of started there was, uh, there's a trend in a lot of things where it's kind of like stuff takes like an extra decade to... Uh, get over to Japan. So, you know, Gary Gygax was doing D&D in like the 70s and there were other related games, but and there were probably a few people who who found out about it and took it to Japan, but it wasn't until uh, like the mid 80s that it started to be more of a start to, you know, actually exist there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the thing about going from America to Japan is that, and especially back then, the language barrier is pretty high. So, the the games that are of Western origin that people knew about were pretty much almost entirely the ones that uh, a publisher actually translated. So that does include D and D, but also uh, Call of Cthulhu uh, is really notable there. In fact, I've seen it get the Call of Cthulhu RPG get referenced in like anime and light novels on occasion. Huh. They'll be like, cool. oh, oh, geez, I lost sand points or something, things like that. <laughs> Every once in a while. Um, and a few others like, uh, Harnmaster and, um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, well, anyway, uh, the, the point being that, you know, the Western games that have come to Japan, um, they're not too small in number, but they are, you know, it's a, it's a relatively specific subset that some right. publisher has, Taken the, the they, time. They weren't to getting Traveler. They weren't getting any of the FASA titles. They weren't. Not that I know of. Right. No. Well, I mean, there was BattleTech, but okay, not, <laughs> but, but not Mech Warrior. Um, but mm-hmm. um, so, and the other thing that uh, I think made a difference is that until fairly recently, polyhedral dice were really hard to come by in Japan. Whoa. Um. It's, so it's the one thing they don't have vending machines for. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, um, kind of in this situation, like, 
you know, uh, D&D never had a chance to totally dominate the market like in the U.S., and uh, neither did really any other uh, foreign-made game. So Japanese game, the market, although it's still small because, you know, there wasn't D&D getting, becoming a household name, uh, it, it's very, it's much more diverse. You know, right. D&D exists in Japan, but it has to compete with like Alshard and Sword World and so on. It's like, this is a pretty cool idea, but we don't have any of the things that we need for it, so we'll just mm-hmm. kind of make our yeah. own better versions. Yeah. Hell yeah. I like that spirit. <laughs> do you uh, think... Oh, go ahead. Do you think... Uh, like, reading through Golden Sky Stories, a pretty important thing is that there's no dice rolls, I think. Do you think that was influenced by that phenomenon, or is that an independent part of it? Um, well, uh, Golden Sky Stories is about Yokamiya, and he is a... I mean, you know, I'm a huge fan of his, obviously, since I've translated two of his games, but he's a really off-the-wall, eccentric game designer. Nice! So... The best kind. Yeah. Uh, the, the way I would put it is, like... In a, in a sense, he's kind of like the Vincent Baker of the Japanese TRPG scene. He's doing really interesting stuff, but he's not like the mainstream by any means. Right. Uh, one thing, speaking of things uh, that jumped out to us when, when reading over this game, there's a sidebar you added about the different role between the game master in uh, uh, Japanese games in general and yeah. the current in vogue uh, place in uh, American or English games. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, would you mind going into that uh, a bit? Or? Um, sure. Uh, basically, it's just that uh, in Jap- the Japanese TRPG scene, from what I've seen, pretty much always the, the 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 game master has a lot of authority, like even more than people would typically give to the, the GM necessarily in a. Uh, in a traditional RPG, like I think I, I know of, like literally like one GMless RPG from Japan, um, which is Giant Alleged, which is where you pilot giant robots uh, because you're a lawyer, and that's how they have trials in that world. Okay, what? all right. <laughs> All right, so uh, what, when is that being out, translated to English? <laughs> I, I, I have to look into it. It's it's pretty amazing. Oh, I buy that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, the, you know, for example, the, uh, pro- one of the, at least the most prolific Japanese RPG publishers is a company called Fear, short for Far East Amusement Research. And that's an awesome name. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're the ones who've done games like Alshard and Ariane Rod and, uh, Double Cross and so on. And their house system, uh, which they've, they originally, uh, didn't really formally describe it, but eventually evolved into what they call SRS, or Standard Role-Playing System. Um, one of the things in it is that it has scene framing, and but the rules very firmly emphasize that this is something the GM does. Mm-hmm. For example. Yeah, uh, even reading the uh, example of play in the back that looks pretty directly uh, uh, translated, mm-hmm. the, the fake GM just seems like a slave driver <laughs> during the character creation part. Mm. The, the two players just sound terrified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how much of that was just that because the 
the the character playing the GM was uh, uh, Suzune, who's the fox henge, and we're not sure how much was, you know, the, them trying to characterize it uh, as Suzune, okay. but. <laughs> so I was wondering about um, we talked a little about uh, a little bit about it from the developer standpoint, but what about? Like from the player standpoint, like if I was if I lived in Japan and I was interested in finding new traditional role playing games to play, uh, where would I go and what would I have to do? Um, the, uh, there's a few different things. Um, one is that the uh, the hobby is even more niche than in the U.S., which is you know saying something. <laughs> right. Um, so it's hard to find like RPGs. If you know where to go, you can find them, but they're a little hard to find. Like, um, you know, the one time I went to Japan, uh, that was in like 2004, but, uh, you know, in, I want to say Shinjuku, there's a Kinokuniya bookstore that's literally like eight stories. And they have one shelf that's about a foot and a half wide that has a few RPGs. Nice. <laughs> so, um, Get into turns of the good stuff. Yes, you, you, they have. There are specialty stores. Uh, probably the most notable one is the Yellow Submarine store in Akihabara, and I have no idea why it's called that. They actually have a Yellow Submarine, like in the Beatles movie, on their website. Yes. Um, and you can find stuff online, and there are also uh, different uh, like special events that they where they sell games and such. Like uh, Comicet actually has a a small, but it's actually there a section. Where people sell RPG things, and uh, there's also sp- specific events like uh, JGC, the Japan Game Convention, and uh, Game Market. More recently, so the stuff is out there. It, it's just you know you it, you have to kind of be in the know to to really come in contact with it. It's a hobby on the rise. So we're obviously playing this over the internet because we're all nerds. Um, is there anything like that? in Japan, or are most games uh, played in person, like at a niche shop like you mentioned, or just meeting up with somebody? Um, I would say that because uh, online play is definitely a thing in Japan. They actually have a few uh, like sites, especially for that. There, there's oh. a site called I think it was called Dodon Tofu, which is which is basically a Japanese equivalent of like Roll Twenty. Oh, nice. Uh, and good. and so and and I think this seems to be really catching on, partly because even more so, you know, in America, you know, you're an adult, getting getting people together consistently to play an RPG is really hard, right. and in Japan, <laughs> that's even more true. You know, Japanese people live really busy lives. They have, uh, you know, smaller houses, so it's harder to have room. And so when they do play in person, they'll often do things like uh, get a table at a local restaurant or rent out a karaoke box or, or things like that. It's hmm. interesting that that uh, is that that sort of, a, you know, meeting in a public place uh, to play is something of a mainstream option, whereas it's a, a specialty a trend that's only hitting mm. the U.S. market right now with uh, yeah. uh, gaming bars and gaming lounges. Um, Going out and just staying at Pizza Hut all night and they can't <laughs> do a thing about it because you just keep buying pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, best birthday ever. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to ask now, um, 
the the games that come over, the games people uh, uh, know about, tend to all get uh, uh, classified as basically anime as hell in one way or another. <laughs> Do you mm. think that's uh, broadly true, or uh, is it just like that's what there's a translation uh, uh, market for? Um, I, I would say a bit of both. I mean, there, there's some. Uh, there, there's some amount of selection bias because you know the people who are picking what uh, games to translate are people like me and on and Andy Kikowski who, who are who are you know big on anime um, and and certainly I probably contributed to that by translating made RPG but on the other hand it's kind of the uh, the thing that um, you know what what we perceive as being quote unquote anime style is kind of actually like a range of styles that in Japan kind of represent like what cartooning is like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's actually a lot more variation in that than people realize. Cause you know, you talk about anime, we can go from like Detroit metal city to, I don't know, pretty cure or something. Right. It's true. I I wouldn't call this awesome lawyer robot game (laughs) (laughs) that I've heard that I've heard so much about. I I wouldn't (laughs) call this game anything like double cross uh, Mm. for one. And even though they're both very anime influenced, mm-hmm. uh, although I think one thing that's probably true—please correct me—but uh, mm-hmm. it just reflects uh, the different pop culture uh, uh, context they're made in. Just like any uh, English-speaking horror RPG is either going to be a Lovecraft or brooding movie monsters in the city. Those are your mm-hmm. two options. <laughs> But because we're living in it, it's hard to notice as much as in an import product that, that has a different, uh, you know, pop culture environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, like I said, we see it as anime and it's kind of like, well, it's anime and manga and visual novel and what's the standard for, you know, TRPG illustrations. And there are actually differences between them, but, you know, to westernize, they kind of blend together because they're they're much bigger contrast to you know like superhero comics or what have you mm-hmm. uh now we mentioned a number of games that have been translated recently uh golden sky stories among them uh just gonna mention double cross for the third time now <laughs> uh ryutama is another one i'm really uh hoping to play for the show sometime uh do you think that these imports and translations do you, do you see them having an impact on uh, uh, English language RPG design, uh, just sort of pop cross pollinating? Um, it's a very distinct possibility. I mean, you know, I I, I can tell you a hundred percent that they've influenced me, but you know, I'm the weirdo who's translating these things. <laughs> and, um, but you know, you know, certainly. Uh, there's there's no shortage of people who've taken an interest in in these games, and you know, I look at the uh, backer list for Golden Sky Stories, and it's like, hey, that guy, like Rob Heinsu has my game, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, the, the ideas are definitely getting out there, and I'm excited, but to, at the possibility of seeing where they lead people, but you know, it's hard to say where it's going to go exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh. I can tell you for sure that Made RPG has led to D66 tables being a major thing in like everything I do. Like it's embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) 
hey, it's it's an easy diet I have on hand. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, there's something else that I had. Oh, do you see any uh trends developing? Like we're uh, on this side of the Pacific, we're uh, in the middle of sort of a uh, a Kickstarter renaissance, I guess you could call it. And there's a big flowering of uh, new designs uh, and also people following in the wake of uh, Fate and uh, Apocalypse World hacks. That's really defining what's going on right now, I think. Uh, are there any uh, trends? Like, do you see... Uh, uh, anything comparable to that in the Japanese scene right now? Hmm. Or just um, like any any sort of trend going on right now? Um, what I, what I see more of is I would say like certain designers kind of really coming into their own and developing their own style. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the big example in my mind is, uh, Toichiro Kawashima from Adventure Planning Service. Um, he's the guy who created Make You Kingdom, uh, which is a fascinating game and, yes. and a bizarre game and it has all these different things in it. Then you look at the newer games he did. He did, uh, Shinobi Gami, um, which, uh, is going to be coming out in English and it's amazing. Um, but it's really interesting for how it, it's a really compact game that has really intense flavor. It really makes you feel like you're this ninja going on secret missions and having these lightning fast epic battles and things. And the the game design is really tight and almost board gamey in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's gone on to kind of apply that methodology to other games he's doing. He did, uh, of all things, an adaptation of Kantai Collection as an RPG. Oh, boy. And, and, you know, I, I, I have the ebook. I need to finish reading it, but it's kind of like, he did it. I'm going to read it because there's going to be amazing stuff in there, whatever you think of Kantai Collection. And, you know, similarly, like, uh, Kamiya has developed his style more, and his, his newer games are, let's say, problematic for the U.S. market, but uh. design-wise, they're, they're, you know, they, they show him uh, developing even more and learning from all of his previous games. You and, could and, say yeah. that about so many people named Kamiya. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Two. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I had a question. Mm-hmm. Um, just doing a little research beforehand, reading about uh, replays, like actual mm-hmm. RPG session logs, logs arranged for reading, and I was wondering if you knew of any sort of difference in perception of an RPG like an artifact of a session being completed being um, sold as a product itself as opposed to like well even something like our podcast where it's a lot longer form and patreon.com slash feats wait what (laughs) I didn't say nothing Uh. it's more about uh, almost session to session than it is a single solitary session uh, in most RPGs, like you have stuff like Dungeon World that can be played in one session, but can also be played in multiple sessions. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering if that was any kind of common theme that the time restraint of possibly, or the time restraint along with the smaller size of the market, possibly meaning smaller games that are designed for smaller time spans. Uh, yes, that is definitely true. Like, uh, my go-to example to, to highlight that is uh, in Alshard, 
there's a there's a section where it talks about different campaign lengths, and it says you know you can do a one shot, you can do a short campaign, and the idea of doing like a western style extended campaign is actually in an optional sidebar. Nice. <laughs> where so, it belongs. Yeah. yeah. So the, there's there's definitely you know extended play is a thing, but it's definitely not the assumption. It's not you know back in the day of D&D, they'd be like, oh, you're supposed to play, you know, you're, you're supposed to get to this level after you've been playing every week for three years. No, this there's is no, your no life that. now. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that, le- that kind of leads to an interesting idea afterwards. Like, just, like I said, replays, even in the Golden Sky Stories manual, there's a lot of, uh, well, I think between all the parts, it's one complete play session, right? Um, there's close to one at least. There's one complete play session first presented as a story and then presented as a transcript of a game. Right. And then there's also some, uh, there's, there's a short story woven through the chapters that's kind of presented in a dialogue format. The Rico's right. big mistake. Right. It's interesting that, um, that works a lot better for short form games than I can attest. Say a fifty part or so <laughs> long campaign and counting mm, something well, like that. Well, replays in Japan they kind of they fill several different functions. So one of them is to be a you know a tutorial for the game, but you know people also read them for entertainment. So they they practically fill they can sometimes practically fill a niche that you would normally see for like a tie in novel. So that there are there are right. actually replays that are multi-volume that run across an entire campaign although maybe not 50 sessions worth yeah even More even from like an entire <laughs> Shh. okay don't talk about <laughs> it you'll break my heart even from an entirely like say objective standpoint as a writer or somebody else who wants to tell a story a role-playing session is a pretty useful format for it mm. so I don't know, I just find the idea of replays just being sold themselves or sold or released themselves as just the artifact itself almost completely detached from the game is really interesting to me. It's like it would take an awful lot of formatting to say release 13th Age Rogue Elements from the confines of the podcast, but it could be done and it would probably be pretty great. It, I have made one replay called The Broken Window for Golden Sky Stories as a promotional thing, an hour oh, session, yeah, and it was, yeah, it, that's when you find out that you start off like every sentence with well. Yeah. <laughs> and things like, you, you know? there, like there's actually, if you read up on the people talking about it in Japan about making replays, there's stuff about how much should you edit and things like that. So yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a, it's not an easy process because it, it, there's you know questions of how much and what you should edit, and also just the tedium of having an audio file and hitting play and pause a zillion times. <laughs> Isn't there but, an yeah. anime that started uh, pretty famously as uh, a D and D replay? Uh, that would be Record of the Lodoss War. Yeah. Yes. Oh, interesting. Huh. Like I know. That, I know things. I've heard of things. Yeah, it's pretty it's, impressive. It's straight up, yeah. They, like they they have a a fighter, mage, cleric, and wizard. Yeah. yeah. It later got converted into a, a sword world setting, but it was, as far as I know, it was originally a house rules D and D game. It's, it's pretty impressive. So to sum up, if it's in a lot more subtle ways, but there are definitely pieces of tabletop roleplay throughout culture. 
and mm-hmm. sounds like in, on the rise. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely like like people are like it's not a total unknown anymore. Yeah, and you know I've heard stuff like uh, there's a manga called Lucky Star, it's goofy four panel gag manga, and I like the 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 artist who does it actually said like he bought a replay without realizing what it was and that was how he got into rpgs and then when they and then when his editor was like we need you to make a comic in a hurry for this magazine he like got it he went through his character (laughs) sheets and picked out four characters got started it's pretty awesome yeah yeah so uh Thanks for listening, and definitely thanks for uh, telling us all about uh, just laying your soul bare regarding uh, the, the differences and similarities between the uh, English and Japanese-speaking tabletop scenes. So we're going to take a quick little break here and be back and with the game proper. It's time to get, get cute. It's, let's get cute! Let's get cute!